Good morning. Good morning. Happy Pentecost today. This is a great and awesome day. This is a day that we are called to celebrate for eternity. And we are blessed to be able to come here today. Well, just as Resurrection Day, and it was way better than... Um, just, just as the Resurrection Day was way better than even Christmas, Pentecost is way better than Christmas. Pentecost is the day that fulfills the Resurrection Weekend. Let us remember and celebrate and thank Jesus during this time. Turn to Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. This will be our verse today. When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. Pay attention to that one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared a divine tongues as fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. Today we are going to remember the foundational teachings of, of what Pentecost is. The foundational map of Christ's salvation plan begins and is rooted into the four biblical feasts that, we, that Jesus implemented during the Exodus. Uh, there, are three, there are two that we're going to look at today. Okay? Within the first one, there are three parts. There's, there's Passover, there's the unleavened bread, and there's the first fruits, and that's called the Festival of Weeks, of Wheat. The second one is the mid-feast, which is connected to the first three, and they're intertwined, dependent upon each other, and that is the festival of weeks and Pentecost. So we notice that everyone in Acts 2 were assembled in one accord at the Temple Mount because it was first God's plan from the very beginning of time that they would be there. God commanded them to be there back, way back in Exodus. So God had this plan laid out before time was even there. And we, the evidence of that is in Scripture. Turn to Exodus 23, 14 through 17. And what this is, this is a commandment of three mandatory feasts that, that God had commanded the Israelites to follow. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread... You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I command you, at the time of the appointed month of Abib, which is Nisan nowadays. For if you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. And the, sec and the, the, the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is also um, the festival of tabernacles, which we are not going to look at today. That's of the fall feast. At the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times in, in the year your males shall appear before the Lord your God. So in that first one, we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is the Passover weekend, because Unleavened Bread is the second portion of the Passover weekend, which is Easter for us. And then the second one would be the Feast of the Harvest. The feasts are both... A foreshadowing of uh, is an they're, they're rooted in the agricultural calendar harvests, but they are actually much much more than that. They are a foreshadowing 
of the spiritual harvest of God's kingdom, God's great plan for the salvation of humanity. This is what we're going to be looking at today. And by the way, God gave people 49 days to study between Passover to this message. So I've got to do it one hour, so we're going to move along a little fast today. And everybody knows I'm always challenged with that. So if you could turn to Leviticus 23, we're going to stay there for just a minute, but we might pop out back and forth, but keep your thumb in Leviticus 23. And this is amazing. Just like amazing grace, we're going to find out how amazing grace really is today. So the biblical map of salvation starts here. These are the feasts of the Lord, a holy convocation, which is a rehearsal or pulling out, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. And we read about that. On the 14th day of the first month, twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day, the next day of the, of the same month, is the, fest of the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall have no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day shall be a holy convocation you shall do no customer work on it. This is, this, is the, this is the bedrock in which we celebrate Resurrection Weekend. And because it's critical to remember, because we refresh ourselves, it's the message of the good news. It, everybody knows why Easter is such a special way for the, for, our, for, for the church. Can you imagine living without Easter? It is a foundation that was fulfilled by Jesus in a glorious, magnificent way. Passover and Pentecost cannot be separated. They are both intertwined, and we're going to take a look at that. Passover testimony, without context, would understand the true glory. The context is that originally it was set in a, in a, in a, in a way, a, a living parable that he had his people live through. In Exodus, we learn that God promised his people that he would deliver them from slavery, that he would free them from their bondage. And this is Exodus 6, 6 through 8. I will redeem you, and I'll bring you into the land. Well, that was, at face value to, to, the, to the Hebrews who were in slavery in Egypt, a great plan. But there was so much more to that. Because what we see in the revelation of that was that they were commanded to remember these, this event in the Passover, which we just read about. The Passover, the unleavened bread, and the, and the first harvest. It was the same day. It was perfectly mapping this out. And just as Jesus and the Holy Spirit commanded the Israelites to paint the blood over the door of the gate, back then, Jesus painted the door of his blood above the gate, and he delivered us from slavery, the slavery of sin. He delivered us from our bondage of sin, and he broke the chains. He redeemed us. And he baptized us, and he washed us clean, and he brought us into the land, and he took us as his people. This is what Pentecost is. Passover, Easter, Resurrection Weekend, that is, the, that is, the, that is Jesus becoming worthy to be the, the high priest. Pentecost is the act of us being grafted into his kingdom, his presentation to us, the two cannot live without the other. We go on in Leviticus 23 to, to, to read about the unleavened bread. 
on the other side, the, 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 the unleavened bread, the matzah, is a picture of, of, of the Jewish people who left Egypt because of their haste. And the unleavened bread remained because they could not survive without, without it, just as we cannot survive without Jesus. The unleavened bread points to Messiah Jesus' sinless life. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible, making Jesus the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' body was in the grave during the first three days of this feast, like a kernel of wheat, which this is the festival of wheat, planting the Passover, planting and waiting to burst forth appointed at the appointed time as the bread of life, becoming the very first fruit. When the yeast is introduced, it starts to ferment, and it swells into the bread. The leavened bread is a pattern of, of sinful puffiness of pride. And himas, himas is the bread that is puffed up, indicating haughtiness of people. But what was Jesus? Jesus was the unleavened bread, the leaven free, free of sin. There's, there's nothing special about it. Isaiah 53 speaks of the, 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 the plainness of Jesus, but the greatness that lives within the plainness, of the lack of haughtiness. The bread from heaven. If you, turn, we don't, you don't have to turn to it, but just put, if, unless you want to, but we're going to be here for a second. But John 6, 25, 29. And when they found him on the other side of the sea from Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you see the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This loaf is very, very, very critical, and it's a foreshadowing of a most powerful thing that has tremendous implications in Pentecost. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures everlasting life, which is the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. That's the heart of what we're going to be looking at today. They said to him, what shall we do? What we may work the works of God. Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Well, Jesus, even back then, he was speaking parables. They had no idea what that meant. Nobody in the world could have possibly had the foresight of that without the Holy Spirit. But there was still so much more revelation. Even today, here in this room, we're going to ponder the thought of what that meant. The magnitude of creation of what that meant. We are about to remember the magnitude of the statement Jesus made. The unleavened bread is Jesus for a better explanation again. Go to Isaiah 52 of the unleavened bread. Turn to Luke 22:19 for a second. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And we gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the loaves that, that Jesus was, was, was speaking of, that he became the unleavened bread. But there's much more to the loaves, because the loaves we're going to find out. Passover fulfilled the blood requirement of death to pass us by. Unleavened bread was the requirement of a perfect sacrifice. 
And we're going to find out coming up, this, the third part of Passover, the first fruits, is a resurrection where Jesus conquered death. He had to do this because to replace the temporary high priests and sacrificial systems of this world. So go back to Leviticus 23. We're going to be camping out here for a little bit. We're going to start with verse 9 through 14. The the feast of the first fruits. So this is the conclusion of the Passover. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come to the land I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits to your harvest to the priests. You shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day of the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. So what they're saying is that the priest takes the very first fruits of wheat that is in the season. And at this time of the year, God created all the seasons. And he tied this whole thing from the, from the leaving Egypt to this very moment that we're speaking about here to the festival of wheat when the wheat fields are blooming. We just came through spring. We saw the winter wheat rising. Then we see the different, the different crops come. This is exactly what happens in Israel. And they take that first fruit and they wave it, and they offer it to God. It's done by the priests. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. As the grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephod, a fine flour mixed with oil. The tradition was that they mixed it 12 times, they sifted it 12 times. And think about this, this is on the Temple Mount, the very Temple Mount, the threshing floor which David purchased. And they're sifting the wheat to make sure that it's perfect. Who is this wheat? Who is this sheaf that is being waved to the Lord, to the Father? It is Jesus Christ being offered as a living sacrifice, the first harvest, the first fruits to the Father. An offering made by fire for sweet aroma, and his drink offering shall be wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat it, neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain, until the same day that you have bought an offering for your God. This shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So this is a very, very critical portion because this is what is intricately combined with the festival of Pentecost. The Sabbath here is a Sabbath following the Passover, and waving of the sheaf is the day after that, which would be the first day of the week. It also started the counting of weeks, the seven Sabbaths. And we all know the festival of Pentecost means 50, seven sevens plus one, 50 days later. This is where they waved the sheaves, which is representative symbol of Jesus Christ, and then 50 days later brings us to Pentecost. The main thing, the sheaf offering then could not eat any of the grains before the priest waved it to the Lord. There could be no more harvests. That had to happen according to the law that God gave Moses, that they had to wave the sheaf, and until that was accepted, there would be no other harvests. Could there be a harvest without Jesus Christ? No. 1 Corinthians 15:7. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul knew this very, very well. He 
He speaks about it often. But when we read it, without this biblical background, without this foundation of understanding what this is from, we, we don't understand what the first fruits are. When Jesus was accepted by the Father in heaven, Jesus reclaimed his place as God's right hand at the spiritual high priest of God's people. So during, when Jesus came, they were doing this ritual. They were doing a, what's called a convocation, a rehearsal. And they were preparing for what was to come. And they were waving this sheaf of first harvest, but they had no idea that the sheaf that they were waving was a representative of Jesus Christ himself. And when Jesus died and rose again, and, they, and he was presented before the Father Almighty up in heaven, he was the only thing that could possibly be acceptable for our sin. And Jesus looked down from heaven. Who is worthy? The Lamb of God. In Revelations we learn. The high priest is a, a, in the Aaronic priesthood was the intercessor between God and his people, acting as a representative before God. The priests offered sacrifices and gave on behalf of the people to reconcile them to God. Jesus, as the high priest, is the intercessor between us and the Father, and he reconciles us through the blood of Christ, and he washes us clean. Jesus would become the great high priest, replacing the temporary priesthood, the finite with the infinite as a great teacher that we all know would say, lol. This brings us to Pentecost. So God, Jesus, our Savior, has been risen, and he was acceptable as a high priest. And Leviticus 23, 9, 14 goes on to describe this pattern of the, of the Festival of Weeks, Pentecost, 50 days later. And you shall come for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf wave offering, seven Sabbaths. This is how we came to this day today shall be completed. Just seven weeks ago, we were here worshiping, or people, our visitors here, were worshiping in the churches, celebrating Easter, celebrating the Resurrection Day weekend. This is what they were, this is what they were worshiping. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. You shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves. Remember John's teaching on Jesus' teaching? In John, you must eat the loaves. John 6, 25, 29 is the reference. Of two-tenths of an ephod. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. Now that's different. Why would God bake something with leaven when it's always a sign of sin? Do you see the picture? Jesus was the resurrection and the blood and the unleavened, the unleavened bread and, and the first feast of perfect sacrifice. In Pentecost, he is raising these loaves up to heaven, which is us. The day the church began. They are the first fruits to the Lord, to the Lord. And you shall offer them with bread, seven lambs of the, of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire and sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats and sin offering and two male lambs for the first year of sacrifice of the peace offering. Now we're just cruising through this today because this is foundational. We're not going to get into the details. The priest, in this case, the, the, high, the, the ironic priest, but we're looking at it through, after on this side of the river, after resurrection, 
Jesus shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. For the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that is a holy convocation to you, and you shall do no customary work on it. And it shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. I think God's commandment with that is that when we do not learn history, we tend to make the same mistakes over and over again. We see that in our world today, right? How history has been corrupted. The reason God gave us these maps and the, holy, and the feast was to keep us safe. We remember on these days. We, we look back and we remember, we're encouraged, and then we are filled to go out again. But we remembered why Jesus died on the cross. Okay, we're going to turn to Hebrews and start with 4, 416. Now, we've been in, in, on Wednesday night studying Sunday mornings. Lowell has been teaching through Hebrews. And we're going to be going through a recap on this because as God arranged at Pentecost is a fulfillment of this exactly. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, again, I'm on Hebrews 4.14. Yep, Hebrews 4.14.16. I hear some turning. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Now at this point, Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice of the, of the wave offering, the sheaf offering of, for the sin of life. And the, high, and, Jesus, and the Father has accepted him. And Paul's teaching, or I can't say Paul, but I believe it's Paul, but the author of Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Jesus was fully man, and he was born a little virgin, and he grew up with a mother and a temporary father here on earth, and he suffered just like all of us had suffered, and just as we are. Yet he did not sin. This, let this then approach God's throne, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we come to God, we don't come to some God that has no idea who we are. It's not like walking into some CEO's office, CEO's office from a janitor position saying, hey, can I talk to you? And you don't have any idea who this is. This is a God who knows us perfectly, intimately. He suffered the same way we have. He was tested and tested and tested all through his life, and he held up as the perfect sacrifice. The great high priest Jesus is better because he does not just fulfill prophecy role in the Jewish religious system, the sacrificial system. He supersedes it with a greater eternal priesthood. It's amazing. When we say amazing grace, this is part of it. This is all part of what we sing when we sing amazing grace. One priest. Jesus accomplishes the work of reconciling us to God. 
He is the one whose perfect righteousness is presented to the Father for our justification. And right now, Jesus is the one who intercedes for us before the Father and prays for us to remain faithful. Remember the priests of, of the Aaronic priesthood. They would, their, their responsibility was to run the sanctuary and to intercede and to oversee and to teach. That's what Jesus' spirit does. We continue with Hebrews 7, 23-25. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here was that in the old Aaronic priesthood, priests would die. And you guys remember that weird thing. And there's nothing weird in the Bible. There's all reason. Sanctuary cities that Joshua set up. Those are temporary places of, of grace. But what happened, when, when the high priest died, even a murderer would, who was seeking refuge there would now have to run because the grace was over when a new high priest came. So also there are many priests, I'm going to start over, Hebrews 7.23. Also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, Jesus, the high priest, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If we turn to Luke 20, you don't have to turn to it, but I'm going to quote Luke 23, 22, 31, 32. Keep yourselves in Hebrew. We'll be there for a little bit. So Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. God, Jesus, intercedes for us. Every one of us has issues, strengths, struggles, and God understands them. He was a man just like we were, and he intercedes for us. You can talk to him about anything. We have been studying Hebrews as we all know, and we have, we've been studying the finite, temporary, earthly, finite Mosaic covenant in the temple has been replaced by a new covenant with the everlasting, infinite high priest, Jesus. Not that God made a mistake. God gave us the law, us the law, because we are grafted in, gave us the law, because it was his consciousness. It was like it would be like if you invited somebody to live in your house. You'd say, here's some basic laws that I'm going to have for you. But he knew. He knew very well because he's a holy God and he is unapproachable. He can't under, understand the magnitude of his holiness. That he knew that we were going to sin. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Yes, yes, we'll follow you, follow you. And he, 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 no sooner did he write with his finger in the tablets of stone... And they came down, they were already worshiping. That's how, that's how able we are to follow the law and the holiness of God. And to this day, we can, we can look at those people and go, oh, you know, look how bad they were. But the law pointed to how much we need Jesus. So in his grace, the sacrificial system was a temporary patch of grace. It gave them ability to make peace with God and to be covered, but temporarily. It never had the ability to heal forever. 
worldly finite tabernacle was the place where God's presence, the Shania, Shania uh, glory, dwelled. The Shania glory is a divine visitation of the presence or dwelling of the Lord God here on earth. And the priest would have the opportunity, especially the high priest, to see and to intervene. And Moses, we read, with the Shania glory of God. But actually, it was so powerful that it would kill us if it wasn't for God's grace. And once a year, the priest had an opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies. And that was under great regulation. In fact, they tied, they tied, the other priests would tie a rope on the high priest's ankle. And he would go in, fear and trembling, to go into the Holy of Holies because he might make a mistake and die. Is that because God's bad? No. Because he came with, with, with a bad heart, if that would happen. So it was not a sin, is not something we take lightly. When sin entered the world, it was totally corrupt. It totally corrupted us and all the offspring of, of Adam. As Israel set out for their escape from Egypt, the Lord appeared in a cloud of pillar by day and fiery by night. The Shekinah glory led them. On this side of the river, the Shekinah glory leads us through the desert by day and by night, but it leads us through our heart. God spoke to Moses out of the pillar, the cloud in Exodus 33, assuring him that his presence would be with the Israelites. Throughout divine instruction, the tabernacle, when temporary, then temporary, physically represented the gradual increase of holiness from the outer courtyard, sanctuary, and holy place, meant to create a barrier from the sin to the Holy of Holies, which could be entered once a year on the Day of Atonement by the high priest, as we talked about. So the very construction that God instructed the way to build this, this temple was a layered approach to enter into his, to, to, to separate us from him and have very strict rules to be able to, to walk within that. Because God, that was God's house on earth. So on the outside was the sanctuary where people could be and the high priest would minister. On the backside behind the veil, that was the Holy of Holies. That's where God dwelt. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And to walk in there, remember when David was moving the ark and the guy just touched the ark and he died. That's what would happen. The Holy of Holies, which housed the Ark of Covenant, was separated through a veil, and that veil has been torn down in, in the Pentecost or the Festival of Weeks. The book of Hebrews goes through this very, very well, and we've been studying this, Calvary. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priesthood because he replaced it, the temporary for the eternal. Jesus' new covenant is greater than the old. The old covenant, the sacrificial system, that grace that God gave to the Israelites as he was establishing his people on earth that he would be born of, the, the son of, he replaced that covenant, and he made it permanent. It was a temporary one, but a permanent one? Well, guess what? Even this covenant, the new covenant, is still temporary. Do you think in heaven, when you make it to heaven, you're glorified, that you're going to have sinful nature problems? You're going to sit there, and I'm in heaven. I got one foot in the world and one foot out the world. 
No. There will be no need for grace because God will write that law on our hearts. We also learn about circumcision in, in the Old Testament. Circumcision was taught to Abraham that all Israelites had to be circumcised before they came in. And they went on to explain that he's not looking for circumcision of the body. He's looking for circumcision of the heart. That's how you become a citizen of spiritual Israel. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews goes on to, 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 to teach. And Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all. We continue with Hebrews 9, 1 through 5. The sacrificial system of old, taught by the by the, by, the, by the writer of Hebrews, masterful teaching. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinance of divine service and the earthy sanctuary, for the tabernacle was prepared. This is what we are, 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 are we're looking at of the sanctuary, the enter part. They would come in and they'd make their offerings daily to cover their own personal sins. Just imagine if every time you sinned, you had to go in the backyard and grab your lamb and atone for it. I would, I would be, there wouldn't be enough lambs in the world, would there? That was a pressure that they felt. These people felt the pressure that I need to, I, how do I walk in union with this God? He's so holy. And they would come in reverence and they would do it. And God would forgive their sins because he's a peaceful, patient God. The first part in which the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of All, the Holy of Holies, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant laid on all sides with gold, and where the golden pot had the manna, Aaron's rod, the first high priest, that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. The tabernacle, then the, then the temple, the tabernacle was temporary tent through the desert and became permanent one in Jerusalem on the, on, on, on the threshing floor that David bought. was divine. It wasn't something that God changed his mind on. And God did not make a mistake. And even before the day Moses came down the first time with the Ten Commandments, and we talked about even came down from the Ten Commandments, we required God's grace because the forefathers could not be holy sacrificial system, could not provide a, provide a temporary grace. The temple was a prophetic map that was necessary for us to understand what God required and did for our forgiveness. So as we look at this and we look back and we remember this story that we're looking at today, we understand a much deeper thing. If I just say God covered your sins and you are forgiven, what does that mean? Oh, I can, I'm forgiven, good. But when you look at the magnitude that from the very beginning of time that coincides with all the seasons, which is seasons are controlled by the stars and the, and the moon and the sun, that the wheat would harvest at this time, which was ordinated by God taking the people out of Egypt, which was a pattern of him being the blood of the lamb, ha, that is a much more interesting story. It was a prophetic map and necessary for us to understand what God required and did for our forgiveness. This is what the biblical feasts do. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of testimony. 
It's a time of renewal. And that's what we celebrate today. Everything in the Old Testament fulfilled the new, and all scripture in the Bible, from the very first word to the very last, amen, is about Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Hebrews 9, 6 through 10 goes on. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went to the first part of the tabernacle, the sanctuary, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, for which offered for himself and the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy, the Holy Spirit indicated this. Now, this is on this side of the river. That the way into the, holy of ho the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the consciousness inside. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings of fleshy ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. We, we sometimes dismiss those laws, but every law is a, has, a, has a deeper meaning and a reason for it. And we can glean a better understanding of Christ from it. And if you really, really want to know the mega theme of the Exodus, it was God trying to take Egypt's consciousness out of the people and give him his consciousness. That's the whole theme of what Exodus is about, and that's what Pentecost is about, believe it or not. John 2, I'm just going to quote this, 19. Destroy this temple, Jesus quote, said, and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking about the temple of his own body. For when there was a new high priest and he was at the throne of heaven, we can't go to heaven to make our sacrifices because it was done anyway. Jesus is in heaven, and he is, the living he is the living temple. There is no need for this temple. The, the temple was, uh, was there as a, as a way for God to meet us on earth through his glory and a sacrificial system. That has been wiped clean. The heavenly eternal tabernacle is the place where God's presence dwelt among those who, are, who, 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 who were his people, and now it is the place were those who are born again. By spiritual union through the Holy Spirit, we are joined to the body of Christ. This is what the story of Pentecost is. All who believe now can enter the Holy of Holies, the secret hiding place, and become the temple of God. Do you have any idea how crazy that would sound to a Jewish person of the day? All the wonders they saw God do and to say, I'm just going to boldly walk into the Holy of Holies, it wasn't possible. This is what Jesus accomplished. And it is infinitely better. 1 Corinthians 6.19, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Continue with Hebrews 9, starting with 11 through 15. The heavenly sanctuary. But Christ came as high priest to the good things to come, of the good things to come, 
with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with of his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having attained eternal redemption. For the blood of the bulls and goats and to the ashes of higher sprinkling unclean sanctifies the appearing of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your consciousness from the dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who have called may receive the promise of its eternal inheritance. To sum that up, the old, test, the, 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 old test, the, the old Mosaic covenant is no longer needed. Jesus has replaced the temple, but not with something worse, something much better. That was a temporary, just as today, the grace that we, are, we have been given that wipes us clean, of, that we can enter into him, that's still temporary because we, we still need to be redeemed. How much haughtiness would we have to have to say, oh, I'm redeemed. Look at those people in the Old Testament. They, they, they couldn't figure it out. We still have just as big of a problem. It's the glorification is yet to come. The Spirit lives in the believer and can always meet with God. We can always meet with God every day. The worldly finite high priest of Aaron was a descendant of Aaron. Had to be. Not Jesus. There's a different. He was the supervisor of the house of God. Service we looked at. He stood at the top of, top of a wide chain of command of, of priests. Talked running, tasked with running the temple's operations as Jesus. When one died, another had to replace him. The high priest was also of Aaron, would also, would also be passed from father to son. Would, what, what happened in heaven? The father looked down and took him. This day began with the daily flower offering, a measure, uh, the, the, Aaron, the, pre, the high priest of the old. His day began with the daily flower offering, a measure of flour boiled and baked 12 loaves of showbread, served with a spiritual leader and chief advocate in prayer and intercession. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. On the, on, on, on the festival of wheat. If you want to really, I mean, there's so much to study in this. If you want to understand the book of Ruth, this is it. This is everything. You need to understand this basic foundation for Ruth. Ruth and Naomi came in to Israel from a foreign land on the festival of wheat. And she says, I will make your God my God and your, your Lord your, my Lord. And she laid at the feet of Boaz, the kingsman redeemer, on the festival of, I'm sorry, they came in on barley, and she laid at the feet of Boaz, the kingsman redeemer, on the festival of wheat, which was Pentecost. That whole picture is the redemption of God. You need to understand this basic teaching to understand these, these scriptures. And also, the old, the old priest was served as spiritual leader and chief advocate in prayer. This side of the river, Jesus became the high priest. In Psalm 110, 4, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are the priest forever, according to the Lord of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5, 6, he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
what is this all about? Hebrews 7.3, we're going back to Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met with Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth of the first, tenth part of first being translated king of righteousness, and then also to the king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning nor beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priestly continuing. Melchizedek was a priest not of the Aaron priesthood. He was a priest without mother or father. He was a priest who lived forever. And Jesus Christ was no longer a priest of Aaron line, but of Melchizedek, a priest who would live forever. Hebrews 8, 1 through 13, the priest of a new covenant. Now, the main point of what we are saying today is this, as if he wrote it to us today. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not a mere human being. Every high priest appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice, and so it was necessary for this one to have something to offer. This one. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there would already be priests who would offer the gifts and prescribed by law. They, save, they serve at sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in the heaven. That's what all this is about, the shadow of what is to come. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. He said, see that you make everything according to the pattern shown on, to you on the mountain. What that's saying is that everything in the Old Testament is critical. Do not change it, just as Moses did not change it. But in fact, the ministry Jesus had received is superior to theirs, as the covenant which he is the mediator is superior to the old one, since a new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, not the tabernacle, the people. We couldn't do it. And said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not, refrain, did not re remain faithful to my covenant, adultery, and turned away from them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. After that time, I'll put their laws in my mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. Remember the Exodus? I will take them as, their, as my people. I'll be their God. He's fulfilling everything. The whole gospel story is back in Exodus 6, 6, 8. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. This is later. <laughs> Can you imagine going out into your neighborhood and you would have to say Jesus is Lord because everybody would be like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. We will be glorified, and we all go, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Lord, to everybody. The veil the outer, the, on the other side separated the people's court from the, from the Shania glory. 
Only the high priest could walk behind the curtain on that day of atonement to sprinkle the blood of the atoning sacrifice, which was a very dangerous ordeal. Sin is very serious. On this side, Matthew 27, 51 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and rocks were split. Why is this important for Pentecost? Because God said, I am giving them access to the Holy of Holies. And when did that occur? It occurred seven Sabbaths later on Pentecost, on this day that we celebrate, that we remember forever. Hebrews 10, 19, 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness down to the holiest, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, that's such, a man, that's such a massive statement that just blows. I mean, imagine the power of, the, of God on earth and then saying, the whole, I, therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by, by a new living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil consciousness and our bodies washed with pure water. Baptism. Turn to Acts. Go back to Acts 2, our verse today, 1 through 4. Now, with context, let's read this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, as predetermined. As suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them divine tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. The, the heavens opened up. This was it. And it continues. And there were dwelling in, and, and they, and there were, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That doesn't mean there were Gentiles. This was a Jewish thing. These were all, why, were, why was it 100% Jewish and why were they there from different countries? Because back in Babylon and then in, first in northern Israel and then Babylon, God allowed their enemies to conquer them because they weren't faithful and they were dispersed across northern Syria, Babylon, Egypt. They were all over and they established synagogues in those places and they never came back, but they would come back for, remember the three mandatory feasts? Before time, God knew what he was doing. They were here for those feasts. Starting with six. And when the sound occurred, multitudes came together and confused but because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galilean? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Emites, and dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pygria, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cree. Visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselytes. Proselytes are uh, converted. Proselytes do not mean Gentiles. Proselytes are converted Gentiles or people from different places that have been circumcised. So they were so circumcised. Cretes and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues and wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? What did it mean? It means the Holy Spirit has arrived and you have it in you. These people believed. Now, when we look what happened here, one thing that's really interesting, we're going to go to Genesis 11 real quick, 1 through 9. We're going to go quick here because we're getting late. 
And we're going to look at the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Sound familiar? And it came to pass, they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain on the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Exodus. And they, the brick of stone, and they had asphalt mortar, and they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower, whose top is in the heavens, and to make a name for ourselves, let us be scattered ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord, remember Saddam and Gomorrah, came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one accord. When they first came, they were all there with one accord. And they all built one language, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose will, will do, nothing they propose to do will, will, will be withheld from them. Come, Jesus said, let us come down and there confuse the language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. What we see in this story was Jesus brought them to his mountain and he reversed the babble. Every one of us knows people. We got people here from India. They speak a different language. Uh, from, from, some speak Spanish. That was because of Babel. He confused us. But when we are united in the house of God, we are united in unity with one language, one king, one God. He, on his mountain, under his terms, he reversed what he did in Babel. And we all become citizens of his kingdom. Genesis 2, 7, the breath of life. And the Lord God formed man of dust of ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's where it starts. In Ezekiel 37, 7, 10, the breath of life. So I prophesied, and I was commanded, and the, I prophesied there was a noise, suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy the breath, prophecy, son, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, and that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded the breath, commanded me, and the breath came to them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. The four winds bring about the breath of life of this dead body. Pentecost is the day we remember and celebrate the external high priest providing the way to be born again. And it, one of the words for the Holy Spirit is brook, which is the Holy Spirit breath called out. We finish John 3, 1 through 8. A man named Nicodemus, a great man with much knowledge. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, speaking of Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Most surely, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Isn't that a really reasonable question? If somebody came to you and said, You need to be born again, huh? 
Well, remember, Jesus had to die, and he was planted in the ground, and the seed birthed forest into a living, into a living harvest of first fruit. And we are also, when we die, we are born again. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes and from where it goes. So everyone is born of the spirit. Knowledge becomes belief, not works. Nicodemus was a man who studied the word, who had great academic skills, impeccable, same as Paul. But they, when they were works, they were dead. They were of the old system, the old covenant. When, it, when belief, and what is belief? Belief is knowing that you know. Knowing everything that we studied here was the truth. And if you are born of that, and you have that feeling, ask God into your heart. And you will be cut. All of heaven will celebrate and bring you into his kingdom. It's promised. Romans 6, 11, 1 through 11, dead to sin, alive to God. What shall we say then to all of this? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How, that would be like the old, we don't have a land that constantly forgive us. We, should we grieve the spirit? Certainly not. How shall we, we, shall, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that, that as many of us are, were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism and the death that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father as the first fruit, even so we should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together, unlike Babylon, in the likeness of his death, certainly, that we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, He's redeemed us. He's brought us out of the slavery, just as he did with Egypt. For he who has died has been freed from sin because of the blood of Christ. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we who also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has its dominion over him. For death, that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but, but then the life that he lives, he lives to God Likewise, also reckon yourselves to the, to the dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ our Lord Jesus Christ. With that, conclusion, anybody here or anybody listening or anybody who hears this message that believes what we just said, that believes that sin came into the world, contaminated all of us, everyone needs forgiveness to be able to live on. They believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he gave, his, he gave his life. He was buried. He was risen again. He became the high priest. You can ask him into his heart or her heart. And you'll be born again into the kingdom. 